This is the show for grown-ups. And they say bad words. And they say bad words. Say final warning. Final warning. Hello and welcome to the Pot of Blunders. I'm your host, Nate Magnuski, and with me today is Dr. Megan Connell. How are you doing today, Doctor? Great. How are you doing today? It's the best day I've ever had in my life. Yay! Yeah. And you're here <laughs> for it. Yeah! I have, yes! <laughs> Win! <laughs> so first and foremost, I ask every guest this, how did you get into the hobby? Uh, yeah, I started playing D&D back in middle school, um, and this was in like ye olden times. So we did <laughs> not have printed character sheets. We had lined notebook paper where we wrote everything out by hand and had to fill it all out. And, you know, you lots of erasing, lots of messing up. Mm. Uh, I never even had any of the books. My friends had the books and we would just kind of goof around. I made a lot of characters I made a lot of one type of character, I should say. I <laughs> was completely obsessed with Lord of the Rings when I was in middle school. Uh, one summer, I did teach myself Elvish. I have since forgotten it. Yes. Um, so I, I just, I made Legolas over and over and over again. <laughs> uh, just different versions of a Legolas character. Um, but yeah, we played in middle school. Like we didn't play very often, but like one of my most fond memories was um, one of my friends had made their own custom spell, uh, which was the spam spell. And it, uh, it was damage dealing spell. And if it reduced the person to zero hit points, you rolled, I think it was a D8. And that's how many food rations they turned into. <laughs> that's somehow adorable and horribly grim at the same oh, time. It's, yeah, yeah. Like it, it was so funny to us. And like now I think about it, I'm like, that's horrific. <laughs> like, I guess it's not cannibalism if they turn them yeah. into something else. They got turned into Kansas spam. It was fine, I guess. Yeah you know uh but then yeah i fell away from the hobby uh in high school and it wasn't until uh i was actually i had finished grad schools out of the army and i was watching uh geek and sundry's uh will wheaton did um the the ashes of valhalla valhalla or something the that one uh, yeah fantasy age system mm-hmm. and i was like man i miss D. this was so much fun and so we started playing fantasy age uh played through that but found like it wasn't quite what i wanted and then i had started watching critical role at that point too and so we went and bought the starter set then got the player's handbook and ran through the lost minds of fandelver with my family uh then i joined a random group of players on roll 20 uh we had a terrible dm and everybody mm-hmm. rage quit after the second game perfect uh, <laughs> But I reached out, like, it was sort of funny, all of the players, we all connected with each other, were like, that DM was terrible, but you all seemed like good role players. Let's try to get another game. And so then we started playing Sunday with a, one of the players stepped into the DM's chair and we still play together. And that we started playing, I think it was 2016. And uh, the, these people who are strangers have become some of my greatest friends and we play every week. And it is just awesome. So that, that was kind of the long journey of starting and then falling away and then it coming back and now being like the prominent bookshelf in my house and everything. <laughs> I originally put out a message on Twitter asking if there was any therapists out there, psychologists out there that would, mm-hmm. we're familiar with running D&D as a therapeutic tool, especially for veterans, because we're releasing this episode mm-hmm. around Veterans Day. 
And you are like the ideal candidate to speak to on this topic. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, a, I'm a veteran too. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like you're I, yeah. every single box I asked for, you checked off and then some. So, <laughs> so can you talk about your background as a therapist and as a veteran? Like, um, what's your experience? Yeah. How did you get to uh, this point? <laughs> oh, gosh. that That's a kind of fun story. Well, not fun, but like a long journey too. Uh, mm-hmm. So I was in college uh, when September 11th happened. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to college in Boston and just remember seeing everything just shut down and how freaky that was. And I actually started, I, I knew I wanted to join the military at that point. So I started calling some recruiters and like, they were flooded with calls. You know, people were volunteering left, right, and center right after September 11th. And um, I talked to a naval recruiter and I knew at that point I wanted to be a psychologist. I was studying music therapy uh, with a plan to become a psychologist. And to this, I don't know the name of this recruiter. I wish I did because to this credit, they really did me a favor. They said like, don't join now. We're going to need psychologists. Go get your doctorate, become a psychologist, and then join the military. And that was what I did. Um, I found about a scholarship program called the Health Professional Scholarship, where I got the last couple years of graduate school paid for by the Army while I was a second lieutenant um, in the um, inactive reserves, and then went uh, full active duty and was commissioned as a captain. Uh, and did served for seven years uh, active duty army as a psychologist um, deployed to Iraq and wow. went there got the got the pin and all, <laughs> all that good stuff uh, and then uh, left the army in 2016 I think 2017 oh. <laughs> I did seven years in the army and then I did a few years in the reserves after that wow all righty so when people come up to you and say thank you for your service how did you appreciate that? Is that cringy to you? No, no, it's really nice. Like it's people trying to show their support. And I know a lot of people feel very awkward when they're being thanked, but you know, it's the thing I would say is just thank you for your support because we don't always have the support of others with what we do. Um, And it can be hard because sometimes, you know, we're supporting the country and it's, there's so much that's divisive in our country. And sometimes people see those of us in the military as, you know, supporting something that they don't believe in and can really take it out on on members of the military and so having support is just it's wonderful and it, we're so thankful for it so I'm, I'm gonna get the terminology wrong but i understand that you practice acceptance and commitment therapy yes is that correct hey you got something right today got it yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> got it in one no editing this today <laughs> um, yes can you explain like how does that i'm familiar with cognitive behavioral therapy and dialectic yeah. behavioral therapy I don't know about this other one. Can you explain how they differ, how it works? Yeah, well, there's actually a lot of overlap with them. So uh, CBT is considered like a second wave behavioral therapy. So mm-hmm. behavioral therapy would be the the grandpa and then or grandma, then cognitive behavioral therapy. And now ACT is a third wave. Um, so ACT and CBT are very, very similar in a lot of ways in that like it spends a lot of time looking at thoughts and understanding how you think and how you, what you think and how that in interacts and affects your behavior. In ACT though, we look at everything in terms of what's called the hexaflex, which I kind of love because it sort of looks like a D20 when you look at it. And in ACT, it's not so much about getting rid of your symptoms. It's about learning to do things even if. And so like, and we do that through identifying our values, figuring out who you want to be as a person and what's important to you. And how do you go about doing those things and learning to understand that you are a dynamic self, that you are kind of ever changing and ever evolving. 
and that you have thoughts, but you are more than the sum of your thoughts and you don't need to believe everything that you think and learning how to see and accept things and yourself for what it, they are and learning how to be in contact with the present moment. If we can get all those principles working together, what we get is what's called psychological flexibility, which basically means being able to go with the flow with what comes up and being able to figure things out as they arise. In ACT, we kind of view pathology, so meaning, you know, psychological disorders for the most part, as arising from being too rigid, holding on to a conceptualized sense of self too much, even despite overwhelming evidence that it's not helping you, believing things that you think, denying things as they are, being out of touch with the present moment, not having clear set of values and not pursuing things that matter. If any or all of those things are out of whack, you're not going to have a very well-balanced life. And what I love about ACT is it's not about getting rid of things because I talk a lot with my clients who will say things to the point of like, well, I'll do my homework when I feel motivated to, or I'll start applying for jobs when I feel like I can. And it's like, if we wait until then, you're never going to do it. The actions of those things come before the behavior. You know, if, if I waited to do my taxes till I felt motivated, I wouldn't do them till the IRS was auditing me and yelling at me because I hadn't paid them for several years, right? It's, <laughs> we have to make space for the pain in order to go and do what matters in our lives. And it's a really interesting concept. It's, it's this idea of like looking and going, okay, I don't want to get out of bed today, but the person I want to be gets out of bed. And they go and they make breakfast and they take care of their kids and they pursue their hobbies, they pursue their career. And so as painful as it is to put one foot in front of the other and to get out of bed, I'm going to do that because that's what matters to me. Hmm. So it's really, it's, it's not a pain averse therapy and it's not an avoidance therapy. This is really oh. a nuts and bolts, like getting into the mess of it. Yes, it really yeah. is. It really is. Yeah. It's getting into the midst of it. And like, yeah. um, it, it works really, really well. I've, I'm the kind of person who like, I want to do it sort of the, um, you know, I give it a try, give it a try stuff. So like anytime I'm reading new therapeutic interventions or stuff, I, I try to see like, okay, could I apply this? Can I see how it can be effective with what I understand about how the mind and the brain work and everything um, and act like it just, it works so well, man. <laughs> it's so nice. <laughs> so how did you learn or, or decide that D&D would be a good therapeutic tool for you? Uh, it was actually when I had started playing the Sunday D&D game that I'm a part of. Uh, I was cleaning my house one day and letting my brain wander, as you do when you're cleaning, because you don't want to focus on mopping or whatever it is you're doing. <laughs> and I'm going like, I'm a psychologist. I have now played two D&D characters who seemingly are incredibly different from one another. And they have to have something in common, though, because they both came from my brain. They are original characters that I came up with and thought would be fun to play. And so as I'm going through and trying to figure out what connected them, and I finally figured it out and it like hit me and I got, you know how like sometimes you have a realization of something and you get that sinking feeling in your stomach? Yeah. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah, I had that. I'm like, oh, ooh, ouch, that's a core. Oh, gosh, I need to work on that. <laughs> right? It was the mirror held up in a way that it just was kind of like, Eesh, right? And I, I was I was floored by it. And it was awesome because like that started really this whole road of, you know, self-exploration growth and stuff for me. But then I was also like, holy crap, I don't know that I ever would have come to that in therapy. 
And if it had been, you know, it would have been years of going through therapy before that actually came up. And so it was really, really powerful to just to be like, okay, wow. Yeah. I, there's something to this. And then very serendipitously, uh, that week or like early the next week, uh, Dr. B was featured on dragon talk talking about how he and some others were utilizing D&D as a therapy tool for kids on the autism spectrum. I was like, all right, other people are doing this. It's a valid thing. Um, I was still active duty at the time. I remember that because I was listening to the podcast. I I had an hour drive each way to where I was stationed. Uh, So that's where I was listening to it. But I was getting ready to make the jump into private practice as I left the military. And so I started trying to figure out how to start running groups. And then um, I actually moved to the practice I'm a part of right now at Southeast Psych. And they were very supportive of me starting D&D groups. And I got, I had a proof of concept group and I got a few off the ground. And then I really found my niche in running groups for uh, women and girls. Um, I'm hoping to start some vet groups soon. Uh, That's another passion project of mine, but um, Mm. I have found with adult clients trying to get a group going is incredibly hard because of the bane of existence for all gaming groups, which is scheduling. (laughs) When you're in high school, you know, middle school and high school, your schedule's a little bit more predictable week to week. For adults, not as much. And so it's a little bit harder to get people to commit and come in for that time. Would you ever consider doing therapy for a group like over a Zoom or Roll20 or I'm, something? I'm doing that right now and it's it's okay. Hmm. Um, definitely can do it. I prefer face-to-face for one reason. Like uh, I cap the group size at four when I'm doing a uh, Zoom game just because with people talking over each other, if you get to have six people, like when people are getting excited, too much is going on and you can't focus very well. And so that way you just, people are getting individual attention, but like, there's just something about getting to play in a room. Like I, my Sunday game is over zoom. So like I, <laughs> I, I'm not going to, I'm not knocking playing online. It is amazing and wonderful and please do it. But more uh, for me, for therapy, I think it's better when it's face to face. Though, you know, like I said, I am running them online right now because of COVID. I might continue to do so. Um, well, I'm just going to have to see what the future holds. Yeah. So how does it differ from running a traditional D&D group? Is it like, okay, you're going to go attack the orc, but first you have to tell me about your father. Like, how does it, how does it work? <laughs> well, so in my groups, what there's a few different things at play. Like, uh, so like I said, my groups are called the self-rescuing princess and it is for women and girls. And we find our voice through play. So some of the things that we know from research on women's socialization, specifically in America, is we're taught to compete with each other. Uh, women are not taught to be supportive and helpful of each other. We're taught to see one another as competition. Hmm. And there's a lot of backhanded compliments that happen among women and stabbing, you know, like that whole stabbing in the back and all that stuff. And like, I firmly believe that that is a cultural thing. That is a taught behavior and we can unlearn that. And so I want women and girls in my groups to form solid relationships with one another to really connect and be feel supported and safe with each other. And I also want them to learn that their voice has power and that what they say matters and how they interact with the world matters. And this is such a wonderful medium for that because they can go out into the world and they can interact and see what happens without consequence. And so like, I remember one group specifically where they 
uh, were trying to find um, this dragon. And so they were sent off to um, an island, uh, an island nation. And they came charging off their boat that just landed and went right to the chief of this group and started demanding that they give them everything. And um, this group had, uh, I think more than half of the girls in the group were on the spectrum. And so I was given a chance to pause things. And so I fold up the Dungeon Master screen and set it aside. And we started talking about how do we identify what the social norms are in a new setting? What are the clues that we can look for? And like, I had a whiteboard in the room and start, we started writing it out, what they, what the clues that I was giving with the different NPCs and the, what they were seeing in the, you know, in the context. And they all were figuring out very quickly. They're like, oh God, we were just terribly rude. <laughs> you know, like we're these outsiders who they have no reason to trust, no reason to talk to even. And we're just demanding their time and demanding their resources. It's like, yeah. And like, okay, that's, no, that, that's not good. And so I was like, all right, let's rewind. Your ship has just pulled in. <laughs> and then we put the dungeon master screen back up. And so there's a lot of that where we pause and process and talk things through. And like, you know, the, it, it's really interesting. I, I used to be an over prepper for my games. I think as all early dungeon masters are, you prep way too much. Yep. And then you go to wait, you know, it's really interesting. You go from like pages and pages of notes to like one little line, like cat statue. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I got this. It's four <laughs> right. hours right there. It's fine. Yeah, it'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> but like one of the things that I've found is as I have moved to less preparation, I've become much more willing to see what comes up in the gameplay and to turn that stuff into therapy. And so a lot of there it's playing with several things in mind you know i'm got the rules i've got the story that's going along i'm doing all the npcs and doing the voices i'm making sure everybody's having fun and a positive social experience together but then i'm looking for beats i'm looking for things that are coming along where i can go aha here's a moment that we can connect with each other i think one of my one of my favorite things in the group this one group pretty much every player ended up somehow getting the light cantrip and anytime they had disagreements, they would cast the light cantrip on the eyelids of their party. <laughs> <laughs> and like, it, it was sort of this, it was this funny way of like, they were kind of like, you know, batting and annoying each other, but it was also a way that they ended up really showing each other affection. Hmm. And like one of the players, like, I think this, the, the uh, player had a really hard time connecting with people and believing that people wanted them around. And so that came out in how they played their character. And like at one point they had their character go into the room that they were all staying in at the inn and climb under bed and pull the covers up over their head. And one of the other characters came over and, was, and had been collecting rocks. And they're like, I'm going to cast light on one of my rocks. It's like, okay, I'm going to put the rock under the bed with her. And then it's like the player pushes the rock out. She's like, I pick the rock back up, recast light and put it under. And like, it, it was just this beautiful moment of role play where like, this player finally had to be like, why are you, we're spending so much time on this. And like the other players like, yeah, because my character wants to make sure your character's okay. And your character's not acting like they're okay. And I want to make sure that they are okay. It, it's just these wonderful moments. And like, you know, for maybe a traditional non-therapy game, you might not, you know, you might kind of go, okay, that happens. And then let's move the story along. 
you know, but it's kind of recognizing those moments of connection and those moments of growth and when to pause mm. and when to stop and process. And so that's really the main difference of between like a, your normal game store game and a therapy game, in, in my opinion, plus documentation and prep and everything right. else too that goes into it. And con- uh, something I should say to consent that mm. every, everybody who comes to my groups, they understand that it's either, you know, I do skills groups that are more focused on just you know, learning how to build positive relationships with each other. And then the therapy groups where we process more. And so it is consent that I have for my players that we will be doing skills and therapy. And so that's important. You know, if you are not a therapist and you do not have the consent from your players, do not try to therapize them in games. Yeah. That seems like a bad choice. (laughs) Oh, it's terrible. It's terrible. It's a great way to alienate your friends. Don't do that. (laughs) So if you've got this veterans group running, what sort of issues do you think you would be able to tackle with this? Would it be more the social skills? Would it be dealing with you know, combat fatigue as the old timey phrase was for it? Like what is, I, what's the goal? Or is it too individual? Cause you don't know who the members are yet. It, it might be too individual depending on the members, like the group, the, the veterans I think of that I want to have in my group the most were the ones that I saw being med boarded out of the army who didn't know how to be anything other than a soldier. I'm actually doing a show on the psychology of Falcon and Winter Soldier. And like, that's one of the things that really struck me both with, um, with Bucky to a certain extent. And then also with Walker was that they didn't know how to be any, like Bucky was learning how to be a person outside of being a soldier and being the Winter Soldier. And then for Walker's journey was really freaking interesting Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in that, um, but like in his disciplinary trial, like he's even saying like, you know, you all made me into this thing. I have heard so many soldiers say something similar. It's like, I've been made into an incredible soldier. I'm really good at going to war. I, I don't know what to do here anymore. Um, And these were soldiers I was seeing who had been deployed seven, eight times to Iraq, Afghanistan. And like, one of the things I know a lot of them missed is that camaraderie of, you know, that you train for months with these people, then you go and you just live amongst them for months and months and months and you like live and die together. Yeah. And you come back home and suddenly you're spread out and everybody's moving and they're, it's gone. And so the, one of the things that I think you can really get at the gaming table is that camaraderie again, is that ability to utilize your skills, to utilize your knowledge, but in a way that's a little bit more socially acceptable as a civilian and a little bit more fun. And it, I think there's just a lot of ways to connect and to find yourself and also to kind of honor those skills because like, you don't, you know, like you don't get to think about um, tactical planning for, uh, you know, in an entrenched enemy, right. 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 In your day-to-day life. But like that certainly could come up in a D and D campaign. It's fun to flex your knowledge. (laughs) That's something I didn't understand really until I started working with veterans. You know, I had, I used to be a certifying official at a school mm-hmm. and I would be their de facto like friend and help them guide them through the, the school and what have you. And I don't think I appreciated how close they were, how much of a loss of a family it was when they separated from the military. Cause yeah. a lot of them talked about, Oh, I'm so glad I'm out, et cetera. But there was always something with a lot of them, not all of them. That was, you know, it was a, uh, it was a chunk of them missing. It felt like. And it mm-hmm. took a lot of work for a lot of them to get through that. 
it's an ongoing yeah. process too, you know, and I'm civilian. I don't know what I'm talking about all the way here, but from what I've witnessed, you know, I don't want to assume things about every veteran. Yeah, no, for, for many, uh, it, it really is this loss of like another family and another sense of identity too. And I think, hmm. Um, so where I was stationed last, I worked a lot with the wounded warriors. And so people who are transitioning out of the military, um, due to medical issues. Mm -hmm. And so for many of them, it, it wasn't their choice to be getting out. They didn't want to be getting out. They wanted to stay in, they wanted to stay with the, you know, these men and women they had been training with and like, they just didn't know quite what to do and how to sit with all of this stuff. So if we have veterans at our tables, if we have active duty folks at our tables, how do we support them? I mean, we're not there to, mm -hmm. to you know, therapize them. <laughs> and, yes. You know, doctor to them. But how do we make sure that we're, we're presenting an open, welcoming table that they're going to have a good time at? Oh, it's a great question. Um, open discussion is probably one of the best things that we can do. Session zero, I'm so glad that it's basically become the norm now to talk about what's inbounds, what's out of bounds. Also utilizing some form of safety tools mm -hmm. is really, really helpful. So these are ways for players to communicate that they're uncomfortable with something. Uh, a, I believe the person who came up with this is a veteran. Uh, it's called the Luxton Technique. It's sort of a newer version of the X card. So for those who don't know, the X card is where you have an X card on a card with an x on the table and if something's going on that's really upsetting to one of the players and they want to cut away from it they just you know touch or hold up the x card and you move away from it in luxon technique you do that you touch the x card or something as a pause but then you can you can state kind of what you need to have happen and so it could be a thing of i really want us to say i need us to save this npc or to say like this is reminding me a lot of this thing I went through and it'd be really important for me that this happens or something And it. So in the X card technique, it's the idea that you don't talk about whatever's going on. You just immediately cut away from it. And in Luxon, you get a, it feels like a little bit more player agency comes into, into play. Yeah. Getting to talk that, that stuff through. I never heard of the Luxon technique. That's really interesting. It's again, it's not about avoiding it. It's not about cutting to black and we'll mm -hmm. retcon it later on. It's really about, we're, you're giving someone permission to make it a little uncomfortable and make it you're giving the player power it's a power dynamic thing that shifts entirely exactly huh. yeah it's giving that autonomy to your players because you know, from what was the author of the Luxon technique wrote up was like they utilized the x card at one point and it got the scene got cut away from it just never got talked to and they're like i didn't like that like that yeah. that didn't feel good either uh and so the, this other technique seemed to work a lot better uh, for them but you know it's talk about the stuff be willing to do it and then go through the go no-go topics and understand that that stuff is dynamic and changing and stuff and like i think go through that stuff privately with your players mm. or even making an anonymous form and like if one of your players is active duty and has deployed a bunch you know maybe just sit aside you know sit with them really quick and be like hey i I don't know what you what what you've been through, if anything. Like, is there stuff that would just not be fun for you to have in this game, with, you know, fighting? Maybe like it could be, yeah, don't ever put kids in danger. I right, got it. <laughs> talking, talking, talking is so important. <laughs> huh. I never thought about doing an anonymous survey as part of session zero before, but yeah, that makes sense. I mean, people would be a lot more forthcoming if they didn't have to put their name on to their fears and uh 
icky topics, right? And, and I think too, as a dungeon master or game master, demonstrate, demonstrate your own boundaries and talk about boundaries and show that stuff. Because it's one thing to say that you're going to do something. It's a completely different thing to do that. Um, like uh, when I'm doing session zero for my groups, you know, I talk about like, look, we're just, we're not going to have child abuse in this game. That's no, that's not fun. We're not going to talk about that. That's, that's not here. I was like, but also don't feel afraid to like put stuff on the red list that, you know, seems silly. I was like, I, cause here's my silly thing I'm putting on the no-go list. Cockroaches. I don't like them. <laughs> no demon Lord of cockroaches in this game. Don't worry about it. Even though it exists. Thank you. Kobold press. <laughs> um, yeah. Thanks Kobold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When we demonstrate that stuff, then it gives permission, right? Just like when mm-hmm. the dungeon master is silly and does voices and really gets into character that gives everybody else at the table permission to play in that way. So D&D, you're a big fan of D&D, longtime fan of mm-hmm. D&D. Are there any other games you'd want to use for therapeutic tools? Uh, there are. So I have this. Uh, this is great for a podcast. I'm gesturing to things. Behind <laughs> me. I, have, I have a whole other shelf of other gaming systems. Um, I have a language-based learning disability, which makes it very hard for me to engage with technical reading. Mm. I can read stories all day long and process and them very deeply and understanding, but like technical stuff, even directions for board games. I'm like, I don't understand this. Um, like I've been playing zombie kids with my, my kids. It's sim- super simple game. And I even misread the instructions for that. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, my brain does not like technical reading very much. I've gotten to play uh, the Ember Wind system. That hmm. one is really fun. Um, it's actually a psychologist who wrote wrote it, and it, they're an existential psychologist. I also come from existential psychology, so I kind of love it. Uh, that system, though, is great in that there is no lone wolfing. Everything is a choice of the party. And so it's, do we go this way or do we go that way? It's not like, well, let's split the party. Like You all come up with a choice together, and that's what happens. And so it sort of forces that you know communal storytelling and working together. And there's a lot more community resources is like um, one of the, the game I have behind me is uh, there's a clock and depending on what choices you are, that adds time to the clock and you don't know what that's going to do. <laughs> it, it is a really interesting thing. But what I also like too, with that system is the adventure has several endings depending on what you do. And one of them is you lose and what, and then the next part of the journey takes, can, pick up right after you lose and like half of this city that you were trying to save is destroyed so it's really interesting in that way and so to, you know it's take some bold steps in storytelling uh and i like that there's some other ones too that i'd be interested in perhaps looking into but the the reason that i use D mostly it's not for any reason that of saying like D is the best for therapy it's no it's whatever system works for you jives with your brain and fits with the population you want to work with utilize that system one of my goals for the folks i work with because i work with a lot of socially anxious um teens and uh you know tweens and teens is i want to give them a way to meet people mm-hmm. you know when they go off to college and are anxious and maybe don't want to go to the big loud parties because they have sensory issues and stuff and they want to find people to play with finding a game of D is going to be pretty easy you know it's not super simple but it won't be that hard however if i was utilizing like outbreak undead 
and right. try to find a group of people <laughs> who play that system, that might be a lot harder. And, you know, they can go into a local game store and they can play an adventure league game and have some fun. You know, I want my players to know how to play D&D, have fun, learn how to make positive uh, relationships with other people, and also learn how to speak up and have their voice be heard. And if I can hit most of those things, I mean, I think usually I'm hitting all of them. I feel like it's successful and it's really helping my, my players. Absolutely. Have you ever considered using uh, like a one-on-one role-playing game for, for therapeutic purposes? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, uh, I, have, I haven't I have actually done a, like a one-on-one role-play before. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have done background stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so one of my players uh, was really struggling with depression and, and um, I was seeing them in an indiv- individual as well. And so we talked about like, okay, let's give it stats. Let's turn, we grabbed the monster manual. We started thumbing through the monster manuals. Let's create a monster. Let's, let's see what your depression looks like. Hmm. And what they came up with was freaking perfect. So it was an ooze golem. And what would happen is it tried to envelop you. And if it enveloped you, you were slowed and your constitution was lowered and everything looked dark and gray around you. Um, but we decided like this golem was weak if everybody teamed up and worked together against it, then it would become vulnerable to the attacks. And it's, it was just, it was really interesting because once they started being able to see their depression more in that way of like, okay, no, it's just this golem. It's the slime from the golem that's trying to envelop me. I need to get up. And if I Hmm. walk, I'm going to start, you know, gaining my health back and my constitution is going to start coming back up. And, And that was really, really helpful for them. That's fascinating. What a great way to illustrate depression and, and how to defeat it. Mm-hmm. The team effort and all that. That's, I, was, I was struck by the fact that you started out as a, as a music therapist student, right? Yes. And then you went to like a D&D therapy. It seems like you find ways to use these non-traditional therapies, either in support of traditional therapy or as an alternate method. Why? why? What was, <laughs> what's your inspiration behind that? I love creating stuff. I like, you know, I... I'm a person like the human brain is super powered at pattern recognition and finding patterns. And mm-hmm. like, I am, my brain loves to see connections and how to like, you know, the, the murder wall kind of, you know, <laughs> strings tying to all that. That's like my brain all the time. Mm-hmm. And so finding these connections and bringing things together is wonderful. And like, one of the things I, I really enjoy about my brain is that it does have this ability to ask well, why not? You know, why, why can't music be therapeutic? Of course, like listening to the, you know, it's like, do you remember that time you were going through that breakup and you listened to the song 5,000 times and it got you through it? (laughs) That was, that was amazing. Like, why can't we use that? Why can't we consciously use that? And like, well, think about all the stuff that you've learned about yourself through playing this game and look at, you know, how, these superficial relationships with people suddenly became some of the best friendships you've had in your adulthood through playing a game. Why can't we use this consciously? Why can't we intentionally take this out and make it a part of life? That's just part of how my brain works. (laughs) You seem like you like to stay busy. And I say that because in addition to everything else you do, you also have geeks like us and psychology at the table. Yep. (laughs) And brain noodles and clinical role. And then I t- do consultation work and teaching with Leyline <laughs> Geek Therapeutics. Uh, yeah, I, I don't, I have a problem with saying the sentence no 
I'm really good at teaching other people how to say, I'm really good at teaching other people how to say no. It's terrible at modeling it. <laughs> Can you tell me about psychology at the table? Yeah, so psychology at the table came from uh, Reddit, actually. Hmm. Uh, reading through uh, just a bunch of the different D&D Reddits and I'd be going, reading through them going, God, it sounds like this person's problem with their players, their players depressed. Or it's like, oh gosh, that player sounds like they're incredibly socially anxious or, huh, that sounds like mathematics disorder at the table. And I, I realized like, wow, I think a lot of game masters and dungeon masters would really benefit from learning just a little bit about what these disorders are, how they can present and how you can be a good friend, not how you can be a therapist. Right. That's grossly inappropriate, but just how that. to be a good friend. <laughs> you know, like if you know somebody at your table gets socially anxious and has a hard time making decisions, don't give them a, what do you want to do? Give them a, would you like, you know, do a choose your own adventure. Would you like this? Would, would you like this? Hmm. Right. If you know someone at your table has mathematics disorder, let them use a dice roller, <laughs> you know, or D and D beyond because they can just click it and it does all the math for them. Right. If someone at your table has ADHD, you know, get some quiet fidget toys that they can play with to help make sure that they're not making like lots of loud dice rolls and things that are distracting to everybody else. Um, it, you know, it, and it's just things of like how to be a little bit more accommodating, how to think about things and like how to talk to your players too. Um, I think one of my favorite uh, panel presentations I did was at PAX Unplugged where we just, it was basically how to have a conversation with your players. Um, anybody who's been on D&D Reddit is probably quite familiar with the chart, which is anytime <laughs> someone starts complaining about a player, someone posts the chart and step one of the chart is talk to them like an adult. So many of us don't know how to do that anymore. Like we don't know how to have a difficult discussion with somebody and how to talk about like, this is a problem <laughs> or to ask like, what, what's going on? How um, do you think that is? Ooh, there's a lot to, to that. That's a simple question with a really complicated answer. I think we've gotten very, very polarized in how we tend to think about things that we are either good or bad. We're on or off. And really like, that's not how we work. Everything is incredibly dynamic and it is, a, you know, this scale that slides around. And so like it, and my ability to be very comfortable with that, I swear comes from acceptance and commitment therapy and learning to accept like I am both good and bad, right? And <laughs> that that is the truth of things. But we have this idea of like, we have to be right. And like, people get very bound up in this idea of like, I am right, I am valid. And it's like, hey, dude, like, I'm just saying like, what, how you approach the problem over there wasn't nice or wasn't, you know, and like, People tend to be so defensive. And of course, I'm making broad generalizations here, but it just, it, it seems like we don't really know how to take feedback anymore in a way to help us grow. And we don't see that as a like, oh, you're right. I, I do kind of do this thing. And that's, ooh, that's not a good thing about me. Let me see how I can work on that and grow. I don't know exactly where that's come from, um, but it, it does seem to be a problem. And it's, so it's really hard for people to have a conversation. Um, so yeah yeah I, you're absolutely I right and i have seen the chart a billion times on reddit so yeah. yeah it's like just have you talked to them well no it's awkward and you need to do that if you want to continue doing the game so yeah, yeah. and like i think if i could give a quick tip to people for how to have a difficult conversation with somebody mm -hmm. own the fact that it's difficult sit down with them and go 
I feel incredibly nervous and I feel like this is going to be a really awkward conversation. And once you say that and it's out of the open, it honestly can go a lot better. It's like it, nerves are this very, very weird thing. As long as we are trying to make them go away and push back against them, they have total control over us. As soon as we can accept them and acknowledge that they're there and say something like, I am so nervous right now. It's very weird. You still feel the nerves, but it's like they don't have any power over you anymore. And so when we're sitting down to have a conversation with somebody just saying like, okay, this is going to be a little awkward. And then all of a sudden, like, it's okay. We've acknowledged that it's going to be awkward and weird. And then we just go with it. You're coming out with all these powerful insights and I really appreciate it. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> going to review this just for my own edification after this, just so I can make sure I'm doing all the right things. <laughs> What's one thing that we haven't talked about tonight that you really want our listeners to know? Oh, gosh play more games, like play. I, I think when I was uh, doing a lit review for um, the training that I helped uh, co-create, uh, started off with Doc Dr. Boca Mazzaro and then have kind of elaborated and built upon it with uh, Leyline Geek Therapeutics. The study that stood out to me the most, and I'm going to be a bad psychologist because I can't remember the authors <laughs> or the year. So sorry about that. But it, it talked about this idea of alibis in play and that for grownups, we don't play in part because our culture sees play as something for children and that we are childish if you play and that we can only play as adults if we have an alibi. So if we're playing with our kids or if we're playing for the um, charity league softball game or, you know, or something along those lines, those are the only reasons that we can play. And like, the research that we're coming out with recently about like the importance of having fun and playing, I, I kind of put it into the category of no doubt research, but it does show like it's so vitally important for us to play and have fun. And like, I, I hate this idea that we poo poo on adults for, I don't know, painting and sculpting. Like I, I remember when uh, I was finishing up with my internship and like, I felt this kind of void of creativity in my life and I was, wanted to fill it somehow. And I'm like, thinking back and I'm like, okay, I know I had a lot of fun doing stuff when I was a kid. And so I was thinking to like summer camp and like gluing macaroni onto the paper plates. Right. And I was like, that was so much fun. And like, too bad. I can't do that anymore. And again, luckily I have a weird brain that went, well, why not? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, let's just go to Michael's. Let's see. What... I was like, I don't think I actually want to glue macaroni on a paper plate, but let's, <laughs> let's find other stuff. And like I did. And it like, just giving myself permission to make really crappy paintings and things was a blast. So recapping this whole conversation, mm -hmm. give yourself permission to play. Yeah. Don't avoid the awkward mm -hmm. and talk to each other. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> <That's it. laughs> yeah, do those things. And like your life's going to be pretty decent. That's gorgeous. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Megan, thank you so, so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. And I appreciate your time. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Hello, folks. It's Nate. Thanks again to Dr. Connell for coming on the show and spending some time with us. If you haven't yet, please go check out Psychology at the Table on YouTube. If you're a DM, you're guaranteed to find a lot of value in those videos. I'll also share a link to her professional website so you can learn all about our continued work and reach out directly if you have questions. If you want to support the Pot of Blunders, please consider heading to our Patreon page. 
patreon.com slash pot of blunders, all one word. We've got membership levels ranging from a dollar to $10 a month, which will get you access to things like our Discord, exclusive episodes of Jumping the Street Sharks, as well as a variety of other perks. You can also support the show and help us bring more attention to amazing indie authors by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate any help you can give. We love hearing from you. You can always find us on Twitter at Pot of Blunders, and you can also reach us via email at potofblunders at gmail.com. Want more reviews, interviews, actual plays? Head to potofblunders.com and learn about even more amazing indie games. Thanks for listening. For the Pot of Blunders, I'm Nate Magnuski, and as always, may all your Ds be 12s. Thank you.